Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with my good friend, Dylan Shore, and we are going to talk about The Fugitive. Uh, Dylan, do you currently have any outstanding warrants? No, I don't think so. Fantastic news. Don't say even if you did. Yes. <laughs> Before we talk about 1993's The Fugitive, should we talk about some other films? Have you seen any other movies you would like to discuss? Yeah. I rewatched uh, Albert Brooks's uh, Lost in America. I'm not very deep on Brooks's filmography. So uh, that, Lost I haven't in seen America. that one. That one, it's him and, uh, oh, I'm blanking on her name. She's the mom in Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds. Um, yeah. Uh, she's been, like always super sweet, very sweet voice. Julie Haggerty. Julie Haggerty. I love uh, Julie Haggerty so yeah. much. She's very funny in this movie, and so is Albert Brooks. And they are a couple who, you know, yuppie couple, living the, the city life, working their jobs. And then Albert Brooks doesn't get the promotion he wants, and he loses it. He's just like, fuck this. Let's get, <laughs> let's literally pull an easy writer. Let's go <laughs> live the easy writer life. Let's get an RV. Let's just travel the world and see it. We have our nest egg. Let's just live off our nest egg. I thought and he was going to open a, a bed and breakfast in Slovenia. And Slovenia. <laughs> uh, Sorry, they're in, the, they're in the RV. They're living life. They're, thinking, yeah, they're I, I assume hijinks ensue at that point. Yes. So they end up of like around some of their first traveling. They end up in Vegas. And Albert Brooks wakes up one night with Julie Haggerty not next to him. Oh, and he sure. goes down to the casino and she has placed a bet on roulette with their whole nest egg and they lose it all <laughs> and that's where the story starts now they're trying to figure out what to do there's a great long there's a great long scene with albert brooks talking to the casino boss and it's gary marshall and sure. gary marshall is so funny <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching Julie Haggerty justify that decision of gambling away the entire life savings on one. Oh, it's so thing. funny. It's so funny. You got to yeah. see it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, and then I watched another movie with America in the title. Woo! Coming to America Number one. Two. Uh, Coming to America 2. Hey, I also watched that. Yes, I was really disappointed with it. Uh, it had some funny parts, but it, I don't know, it was just kind of lazy. There wasn't much going on with it. I think uh, but I did laugh a good few times, though. I laughed really hard at a few of the bits. Like, I would say every five or ten minutes, I got a literal out loud laugh from me. And then when I was thinking about it at all, I was really disappointed what was happening with the script specifically, where I'm just like, oh, so they're in love now yeah. because that's where this story is going. So, and lots and lots of stuff like that. Like you said, just kind of lazy, very rote, just, you know, forced decisions. And I, I um, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I laughed yeah. a lot. I really, I enjoyed it more than I'm saying that I'm describing it, but it, it really was, if it hadn't been 
Eddie Murphy and like the <laughs> James Earl Jones at his own funeral. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's yeah, that was hilarious. That was yeah. funny to me. It's really, really funny. It's a good bit on paper. It's a great bit the way they acted out. Nothing else like survives their not being there. Like if Eddie Murphy's not in this movie, it's oh yeah, no. Like one of the American Pie straight to DVD sequels, you know, just kind of only the Naked Mile or whatever those ones were. Yeah. Right. And it's just Eugene Levy and a bunch of people you've never heard of. Yep. Uh, the one part that is the funniest part in the whole movie to me, besides the funeral scene, is uh, the main kid is in the job interview with Colin Jost. Yeah. And he's fed up and he just leaves. He's like, I cannot wait until the like office party of you and Blackface comes out. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I was doing Will Smith's genie. I had the blue face over the blackface. That line <laughs> crushed me. I thought that... That was so funny. Whoever thought of that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I laughed hard as fuck at that. <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a good joke. It's full of good jokes. It really is. It's a very funny movie. I, I laughed a lot and like again, laughed really hard, pretty regularly. Yeah, there's definitely moments to laugh at. Uh, and then I finished Wandavision. That's the last thing. And uh, the the season finale was the worst episode by far i I, you know we've talked about it but the more it does mcu the less Mm -hmm. i give a shit about the show at all you know the the shining moment of the the ultimate episode was uh agent Wu doing the flourish yeah yeah. yep uh yeah like I thought the whole show was balancing it perfect between the Wanda and Sword. Like I thought it was balancing the MCU and the the sitcom TV world perfectly. And then this last episode legit was just MCU world wrapping up that story. Who knows if they're going to have another season. But uh, you can't have another season, right? Not right? Yeah, time. you can't. You can't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it, I said it, it before. fizzled out at the end, but it's still worth a watch. Like the as a whole, it's genuinely fun to watch, and I think people should watch it. Yeah, I, I think on the whole, it's good TV. You know, mm-hmm. one of one of the better things MC the MCU has offered. One of the better sort of original programs in the like post golden age of television we're in now with the, like the the corporate content thing mm-hmm. going on like i don't know how to netflix describe all that like netflix tv shows and amazon tv shows and not even the netflix stuff but i'm talking about like the the star wars and the marvel specifically mm-hmm. and the like the the dc eu or the you know the uh, i think it's one of the better entries in an extended universe kind there of thing yeah i really dig it as that because it made me care about the extended universe in ways that i never have like when they towards mid-season when we get to the the snap or the flash is that what they're calling it that, uh, the blip like you disappear the blip, the blip yeah that's i i mean it's works every time they use that feature it works really well it doesn't matter 
it works best here and it made me care more about it here than I really ever have. And it like, I have moments of <laughs> like watching any of these movies is kind of like watching a brand new movie for me. And so when a new character comes in, I, just because I'm a, a movie watcher, I have a moment of like, oh, who's that guy? And in the MCU movies, I just, and any of them, like, I don't actually give a shit. Let's see how we have an adventure with them this time outside mm -hmm. of our, you know, big main characters. But I gave a shit about Rambo and it made me ask questions about like uh, the Captain Marvel stuff and the, whatever, you know, I, I'm not going to find the answers to these questions because I don't care that much, but I, whatever it's good it's good perfect. perfect how about you what did you watch um yeah coming to america i'm glad we talked about it i watched i did a triple feature of movies that have the word assault in the title so you had assault on precinct 13 uh -huh. classic i uh, just actually bought the blu-ray a few days ago it just got in the mail i haven't got to rewatch it yet um and then you did the remake of Assault on Precinct 13. That did you? Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. I like that one too. I love Ethan Hawke. It's too. not as good as uh, Carpenter's, but I do like both of them. Can you do the third one? The third one, obviously, it's going to be different from those ones, right? Um, oh, okay. I can't think of this third one. It was Wall Street. I did the assault on Wall Street. Gotcha. Um, yeah, just like you said, the Carpenter's one, hey, here's my hot take, is that that's Carpenter's best score. Cool. Yeah, fair. Dude, I It's did not as hot. iconic as the Halloween score because that score is so simple. But the whole soundtrack to Assault on Precinct 13 is dope. It's yeah, real yeah. good. I'm with that's you. That's like zombie killing music like if you're playing left for dead or some you know crazy horde kind of video game mm -hmm. just put that one on and anyways yeah i liked it a lot um what's not to say john carpenter's super good at making movies and this one's i don't know it's not underrated right people know about this movie and have seen it and love it yeah yeah, yeah. it's got a big cult following right on yeah i it deserves it it's super good I, and like you said the remake I was kind of expecting it to not be good, and it's good. It's good. Yeah, no, it's not bad. Yeah. It, the actors are definitely doing good things, and it, it's, it's a little longer, isn't it, than the original? Yeah, and it, it feels long also. Mm -hmm. It's been yeah. a minute since I've seen the remake. You know, it's a fun thriller, and like you said, Ethan Hawke is almost always worth a watch. Yeah, no, I'd say always. And then I rounded out the, <laughs> man, I had to, it took me a little bit to get through it. I might've finished it this morning after starting it yesterday, yesterday afternoon. Have you seen Assault on Wall Street? I have not, no. That movie is, but it, it is like <laughs> just <laughs> a whole sack of buttholes. I really didn't like it at all. I, here's the thing. It is a full, uh, it's a whole hour before he assaults Wall Street. 
And man, I'm sorry. The dude, is it the lead from Prison Break or is it the brother from Prison Break? He is one of the leads, but yeah, it's the brother that gets put into prison and his brother gets in to break him out. Right. Dominic Purcell or Purcell, something like that. Sure. He, I haven't, I haven't seen any of Prison Break uh, for what it's worth. Oh man, it is. It, the first season's dope. Like it's actually, it was some great Fox TV show. And then sure. the second season they get out, and the third season they have to go back into prison, and then break out again. That doesn't. Why? Why? Because of the <laughs> title of the show. It's Prison Break. So end it once they get out of prison. <laughs> the first time. <laughs> this was before we had thirteen episode miniseries uh, yep. on American television. Uh, but yeah, what did you expect from Assault on Wall Street? It's made by Uwe Boll. I expected an Assault on Wall Street. Oh, you wanted to see that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you I'm there assault. for like an action movie. I'm like, all right, great. We can, and the premise sets up really tidy. He's like a security or like a cash handler guy, like a armored truck driving man. And... And then we spend an hour watching his life get destroyed by the, the crash, which is understandable. That has to be the plot of this movie, but it has to happen in like 15 minutes. I'll give you maybe 35 minutes at most. You need to start assaulting Wall Street, motherfucker. And it just... Uwe Bull does not know how to do action. And that's what, what he specializes in. <laughs> What does he do? What's his thing, man? Uh, so here, I'll read it off for you. We mm. got the like the big one that uh, I know. House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark, Blood Rain, Far Cry, Rampage, uh, Blubberella, I don't know that one. Uh, Assault on Wall Street, uh, In the Name of the King. Like they are some bad movies. Why does he keep making them? How does that happen? Because I that's his shtick. Like people give him money to make these, like they're really bad. They're not fun. No, they're... no, it was not fun at all. <laughs> I was traumatized by this experience. <laughs> I went in looking for like Wolfgang Peterson, fucking Jan de Bond. No. <laughs> Wolfgang's the one of the better German directors. Uwe Boll is not. No, is I Wolfgang gotta say. Uh, German what's that is Wolfgang Peterson German Am I, I don't wrong? know I don't know either don't quote me sorry um Edward Furlong is also in this movie uh Eddie his voice is the exact same voice from Terminator but it's in a sad body and oh. that's very upsetting this, was this him going through definitely drug addiction I gotta assume man yeah he does not look good uh keith david is in it though love always keith david good. yeah always good and then uh, i just gotta say it though Dom, what dominic purcell is that what the gentleman's yeah. name was he's he's not carrying this movie i don't know if he can it, it relies so much on him i have to imply or impress that a literal hour of this movie is him talking to stockbrokers and attorneys and uh, medical professionals and insurance adjusters and like just having wow. phone calls 
in dark rooms about how he's losing money. And he's just, um, he's a face more than he's a mood. How about that? I don't know, man. I'm trying not to be too mean, but it just, nothing about this movie fucking worked at all. Yeah, nothing about Uwe Boll's movies work for me at all. I think I've only seen House of the Dead and Pieces of Blood Rain. That's all I've seen. Are these video games? What are you saying? Yeah, yeah. They're adaptations of video games. You know what? He's probably the reason that people think video games move video games. Yes, you are correct. Absolutely. Jesus. Fuck you. You what's this? Uwe Boll? Fuck this. Uwe Boll. I I could be saying uh Uwe wrong, but it's UW. I generally am in favor of respecting people's names, but this thing. There are also, there are shots of, uh, it doesn't matter. It feels like throughout this movie, he literally only did one take. Like there are actors putting emphasis on the wrong syllable. And then we just move on and you're like, hey, can we get one more just for safety, Uwe? And he's like, no, he said it. It's fine. And you're like, Good, no, move I- on. Wasting money. Oh, man. Let's talk about a much better thriller. Yes, and a fucking movie that made so much money. I just saw that, man. What number Dude. are you looking at? Uh, I was. I actually looked at this last night after finishing it. Hold okay. on, it's right here. Um, I have three hundred ninety-three uh, million in yes. fucking nineteen ninety-three dollars. Yeah, worldwide. So this movie was the first film in 40 years to play in China. The first American film in 40 years. And so they ate this movie up. I fucking loved it. (laughs) What was the domestic on it? Because it was a big fucking deal here. It was. No, it totally did well here. Uh, It was only made for like 46 million? 44 44 is what I have the budget at. I, I'm curious. Let's try and find the domestic box office yeah, yeah, before yeah. we're done at this thing. Because I also remember it just being an absolute phenomenon of a movie, you know? Like, I, I've mentioned my upbringing and my inability to watch certain things. And this was one of the ones that got through. And I think part of it's because my mom was definitely into Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it was just like, no, everybody is seeing this thing. They're... You can't be, you can't walk down the street. People will walk up and shake you by the shoulders and say, sir, have you seen The Fugitive yet? If you answer no, they drag you to a theater. That's what it was like in the summer of 1993. So domestic gross, $183,875,760. In $1993? It was beat by, can you guess? So it's number three. It's number three on the year of release, but there's two ahead of it. 93. Oh, 93. Buddy, like the, biggest, the biggest movie here. of 93. Was there a Batman that year? Nope. Nope. But it's, uh, I can't even say the director because it will give it away. And say any the actor. Say the director. Yeah. <laughs> Spielberg. Oh, Jurassic Park is the same year. Yes. That's oh. number one. And number two, uh stars robin williams aladdin 
Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, uh, okay. Jurassic Park was the other one that sort of broke down the walls where it was like, no, you have to see this. And we went and saw it in a theater and it's a real early theater experience for me. I was way too young to see it. it I mean, not way too young, but like I hadn't seen anything at the point when we went and saw Jurassic Park. Uh-huh. So it was like one of my first theatrical experiences ever. Oh my God, dude. It's Yeah, I definitely did not see Jurassic Park or Fugitive in theaters because I was two years old. <laughs> I mean, my mom might have brought me into the theater, but I highly doubt it. Uh, the first Jurassic Park I saw in theaters was Lost World, and I remember being like, what the fuck? <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I remember The Fugitive being also one of the movies that they sort of, especially in the early 90s, like Speed, I remember being marketed this way. There was a lot of marketing around the scale of the practical effects. So like the train bus crash was at least it made a, a impression on my mind, you know? Oh, hell yeah. You can hike. To, they didn't remove the bus. The bus is scattered in pieces out in the middle of the uh, uh, Blue Ridge Mountains. Yeah. Uh, like in North Car- the North Carolina side, not ter- uh, Tennessee. But yeah, you can like hike out to the, <laughs> to the bus and see it. I want to do it so bad. Yeah, I also want to do that. I, um, <laughs> a buddy who was on trivia, Kehoe, is in North Carolina. So we're going to have to camp out at his place and take a hike and, and see this creepy ass. I'm sure very rusted and like, there can't be much left of it at this point, right? I know. Well, I mean, like when it impacted, it like separated a lot of the bus. So I think there's pieces just strewn across the property everywhere insanity it's a cool mm-hmm. stunt man and it, it looks pretty good i feel like there's a little bit of uh feathering that needs to be done on the green screen maybe 1993 wasn't quite up to getting that what, done but which part of what part because they when, shot that pretty practically there's no green screen in the train sequence is he just on wires that's ford on wires that is uh, when he jumps off yeah that's not forward on wires that's a stunt double jumping off yeah isn't there i okay i i want to take another look at it and maybe i am completely wrong so let's just talk about something else <laughs> okay well it was surprisingly based on a tv show that ran for a hundred 120 episodes how the hell do you extend this plot over 120 episodes that are 50 minutes long i have to assume that there's no like the medical mystery the sort of like um getting the drug approved aspect is not in the original and it's much more like oh the the one-armed man did it i'm you don't know if I'm crazy or not, and here I am on the run. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. But um, this movie is incredible and looks incredible. Andrew Davis did such a fucking great job. This is, this is his second movie? Hold on, I'm getting to his uh, IMDb. I want to talk about Andrew Davis. because yes, I do too. It, this movie came right after Under Siege. 
And okay, yeah. So Under Siege was first, and or not. He has like uh, some shit starting in the '80s, but they weren't like anything crazy big. Under Siege was his first big thing, I think. First big thing. I think there's a couple of Steven Seagal. Oh, Seagal Above the Law actually came before. That one's fucking yeah. huge. So I get the sense that he was like Seagal's guy and, you know, got the chance with Under Siege. And then Under Siege is a massive fucking hit and rules, by the way. And he gets a, a crack at this thing because the rest of his career is good. He's got some good stuff after this. Um, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe slightly diminishing returns. And it points to a thing that I thought was a little strange on this viewing, which is the the age of both of the leads works, but it's a little strange when you contrast it with how set PC this movie is, right? And mm-hmm. like, the <laughs> we'll get to the waterfall, and, but they do a good job of, pointing out like no normal human could survive that thing because when you're looking at it it's like that he's no, dead human they, could survive that thing just that, dead yeah me and my buddy who i was watching it with we were like trying to dissect it we were like maybe if he just missed the dam and came in at like an angle and we were like dude no fucking way no no <laughs> no matter what he did he died over and over a horrible death <laughs> forever it was um that so <laughs> And then even by the end, he's like on the rooftop and there's a helicopter shooting at him. And the, the dude who is an executive at a hospital or like another surgeon or whatever goes full on bad guy and is now ready to like shoot the fuck out of Tommy Lee Jones and Richard Kimball. And the whole time, I love it, man. And Tommy Lee Jones is selling the shit out of these lines some of them are better than others. A few of them are a little like, wait, did he just say, okay. Yeah, no, uh, the line that we kept rewinding is when uh, Kimball's been spotted at the hospital and the guys come out of the tent to tell Tommy Lee Jones. And he's like, Kimball's been spotted at Chicago Memorial Hospital. He's like, that's hot. <laughs> that's hot. <laughs> I I wrote down that this movie is 70% people relaying information to or through Tommy Lee Jones and him yep. or walkie talkies. But all of this points to it being a much more like popcorn kind of movie. You know, I think this and Andrew Davis is a popcorn kind of director and I'm a, a professed lover of popcorn cinema. It's where I'm at. This but- is probably one of the best like just like popcorn enjoyable movies like there's great drama there's great action there's fucking great lines that make you laugh because they're so ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) it's got everything uh does have everything andrew davis though originally started out as a uh dp director of photography and he his the last movie he was a dp on was a film called Angel in 1984. And it's this like low grade B movie about a <clears throat> high school prostitute uh, that works like the Hollywood, the Hollywood Boulevard area. And dude, it looks so fucking good. I watched a 
not so great copy on YouTube. And I was like, dude, this is shot incredibly well. It's like obviously a ridiculous plot, but it's a fun, ridiculous plot. Like it's so insane. This high school fucking, this high schooler who's fucking uh, living on the, uh, she actually isn't living on the street. She's lying to everyone saying she has parents, but her parents are actually dead and she's been living alone and she has to fend for herself. That's why she becomes a prostitute, dude. I fucking loved Angel. I really want to rewatch it. <laughs> All right, give it a go. I will. You should watch it too. The Angel I want to rewatch is the late 90s television vehicle starring Jessica Alba. Was that Dark Angel? Yeah, Dark Angel. Because Angel is just the rip off of Buffy. <laughs> Spinoff. You're welcome. Yeah. But if it's Joss Whedon, who cares? I canceled, I hear, is the story on that man. I guess so. Yeah, man. F him. F him. Uh, so back to The Fugitive. Uh, <laughs> the bad guy in this movie, his friend, who he thinks is his friend, uh, is also the bad guy. As soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, yeah. Duh, he's the bad guy in Deuce Bigelow European Gigolo. Come on. <laughs> Are you talking <laughs> about Yorin Krebe? Yep. Okay. I am fawning over the performance of, I, I do like his performance. I love his, just his little touch of a European accent that he's bringing to this. That's how you know yep. he's a villain. Mm-hmm. But I also really dig the performance from, was it An- Andres Katsoulas? Katsoulas? Katsoulas. Uh, Ah, Katsulas. Katsulas. Andreas, dude. He's the one-armed man. One-armed man, baby. And he's legitimately threatening in basically every scene that he's in. Yeah, he, he's fucking uh the the scene of him walking up to his house and seeing all the cops outside and just uh like I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm trying to go with this, but that scene specifically I really loved because he's got Everyone knows who, that's what it is. Everyone knows who he is, and he's like, "Oh, everyone knows who I am." What, what's going well, that's on? what it is. He's because he's talking shit to them in this situation where they're like very clearly trying to intimidate him. There's police officers pouring out of his house. It's an intense situation, and he walks up to me. He's like, "Oh, what? It's a party? I don't know what's going on here. Fuck you guys!" <laughs> uh, and this movie is full, full of you know. It, it feels like a Michael Mann cast. It's just like all convincingly ex-police officers and Chicago guys just like, yeah, fuck you. What's the story about this? I don't care. Shut up. And then you get uh, Julianne Moore for some brief minutes. Her scene is great. She's got like two scenes in this thing. She's great. Yeah, you know, she actually had a lot more that was cut. And you want to know what that subplot was? A romance angle? You know what? I'm glad they cut that. Yes, it doesn't need to be there, but apparently it's in the book, like it start or in the TV show. But uh, yeah, Uh, completely cut, no need. Maybe it's not in the TV show. Maybe that part. Yeah, no, it's not. I don't know if it's in the TV show, but still, no need for a romance between Julian Moore and Harrison Ford. He's fucking mourning the loss of his wife and trying to clear his name. Why would you set up a romance story in that? Right, you just one or the other of those things, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, kudos on you, 90 movie, 90s movie for not doing the very obvious Hollywood thing and, and forcing a love angle in here, which they very clearly filmed and just cut for time because they were already yeah. in a 210. Yep. You can like you can kind of see when she's confront like she stops him. She's like, hey, you, wait, like that. You can tell there's something in her eyes. Like she knows this guy more than what this scene is actually telling us. It, it just felt like there was definitely more cut. And the pride that she reads with at the like the interview when the cops asking her about him when she's like, oh, saved his life. That mm-hmm. glint, you know. Yep. Hands a little harder with that knowledge, but yeah, it doesn't need it at all. I'm glad it's not there. And uh, the St. Paddy's Day Parade sequence is incredible. Uh, apparently, no permits, I don't think. They just went and shot. Did they really? I think so. Uh, my buddy was reading trivia while we were watching. He's like, they just went and shot this. Like, you can see people looking at the camera, looking at Tommy Lee Jones, <laughs> looking at Harrison Ford. Like, you can, you can just see the dynamic that they just went and gunned it. Just mm-hmm. let's shoot this real quick. We only have a few hours to get this i mean i gotta assume they put up some signs those ones that are like you know by entering this area you're consenting to being filmed kind of thing but But the st patty's day parade is probably always filmed right and honestly i it didn't read that way to me it doesn't surprise me that that's how it happened but i like that people are like oh these what are these people doing you know there's you know bad movies have like no extras or stagnant extras who don't interact with the things happening around them i just was watching oh um i've been looking for pure vegetative television at the end of the day and so we put on atypical um there loves that show you know it's it really hits the mark for just like dumb soap opera that has that one twist that makes it sort of like, oh, we think we're a prestige show, but we're just not at all. We're dumb soap opera show. Mm-hmm. And I love that stuff. That's kind of my, you know, uh, the perfect vein for me to turn the brain off with. Anyways, there was a scene in a restaurant the other day. And by the end of the scene, the whole restaurant is like, oh my God, what the fuck is going on with these people? And I was like, yes, thank you, Atypical, for, for showing normal human behavior. I've been in restaurants where crazy shit happened and the whole restaurant went, what the fuck is going on over there? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that's the one with Rappaport, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh, lovely. Yeah, and they both, since we're talking Atypical now, I think they both understand how bad the show is. And like by episode three, they're so entirely checked out that it's kind of fascinating to watch. I, you know, I think Jennifer Jason Lee is like a great actor and I really like Michael Rappaport a lot. And there's things that he can do very well, which this show calls upon him to do. And he just doesn't deliver. Nobody is delivering. They just are like, sleepwalking both of them it's kind of fascinating anyway uh so here's the piece of trivia for the saint patty's day thing uh it wasn't scripted 
This was later added by Andrew Davis. Davis, a native of the city, really wanted to capture the parade and was granted permission from the mayor's office to film the day of the parade. The entire sequence was shot with a handheld Steadicam without rehearsal. Ford and Jones just went out into the crowd and did their thing with camera operators running around trying to keep up. Ford observed that since his character was keeping a low profile, it meant he himself didn't stand out as much and lasted several minutes in the crowd before being recognized. <laughs> I heard a story, okay, uh, that what tracks out of that story for me is that Andrew Davis is a Chicago guy because this is a Chicago ass movie. I mm -hmm. heard a story about a reporter who was walking, interviewing Marilyn Monroe and walking around New York City with her. And she was not getting noticed at all. And she was like probably wearing sunglasses, but wasn't dressed down, wasn't doing the whole I'm hiding thing. And then they stopped at one point and Marilyn Monroe asked the reporter, do you want to see me turn it on? And she's like, well, yeah, of course. And she goes, okay. And like throws her shoulders back or something. And then within three seconds, five people have run up to her like, can I get an autograph? Well, my picture, Marilyn, you know? And uh -huh. there's something to be said. That's something my wife and I talk a lot about in <laughs> when we're watching movies here on the couch. Her, her favorite refrain, God bless her heart, is, ah, oh, he's always the same. Ah, oh, she's always the same. And my thing is like, that's not the job of an actor that the deal is they need to make you feel emotion, right? They need to convey a thing. If they are the same all the time, but they are conveying different things, that's good, that's talent, right? That's the thing. What goes along with that and sort of the flip side of that is even if you, they're not incredibly talented actors, movie stars and like real movie stars have this, innate and real keen sense of their like projected persona and the psychic space that they take up in the world. And you can see, you know, when some people come into a room, even after you've interacted with a lot of these type of people, some of them are just like, oh, no, this is a, their game now. The, the whole thing has changed. So the way I always phrase it is like, yeah, if, um, you know, inserts not movie star actor here walked into the bar, people would be like, oh shit, I think that's somebody. Yeah, I think that, okay, great. Yeah, I think that is. And then we go back to our conversation. If Tom Hanks walks into the bar, the bar stops. Nobody, like people are all lining up to take pictures or trying not to be rude, but everybody's changed the way that they're sitting now. Yeah. You know, they're not even looking at their menu any, whatever. So there's a thing that celebrity has that movie stars have that they can turn on, they can turn off, they can project yeah. and retract. And so for Harrison Ford to be walking around unnoticed, even with his whole face out, that doesn't surprise me at all. Just by his, he's a good fucking actor, man. So he can make him make me feel like he's invisible, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I guess you're right that the image of Kimball jumping is superimposed. There is yeah. no stunt double there. It is superimposed onto the train crash. Yeah. Hmm. Damn. It didn't look like that on the Blu-ray to me. Well, Blu-ray looks pretty good then, I guess. I did not watch this on a Blu-ray. <laughs>
I got a few more notes here. This one's a little inside baseball, but uh, Tommy Lee Jones in the like weird blue hat. Yeah. It's got me thinking that maybe he wanted to wear the chicken outfit in U.S. Marshals. I don't know about that one. Uh, Jones just likes weird wardrobe when he's busting perps. Yeah, I mean, like, he does go undercover in this one, and he's, like, dressed, like, in, like, like a painter's, like, costume, or, like, what was that? What like was a, that? Just, like, a jumpsuit and, like, a, a hat, a really close hat. It's, like, layers of overalls, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he's wearing, like, short overalls over long overalls. <laughs> and uh, the cap is so blue and beamy and strange. Yeah, I don't – we could talk about U.S. Marshals real quick. It's <laughs> not as good as The Fugitive. We'll say that right up front. But uh, it's still kind of fun to watch. It's a lot of fun to watch because he gets snipes doing all of these things. Yep. Uh, Tommy Lee motherfucking Jones won the Oscar for this. He deserves it, man. He's mm-hmm. – like I said, these – the stuff in this script, it, I think it's written for Stallone, you know, or oh. Schwarzenegger, or like, you know, those are. I like, don't know. Tommy Lee Jones was in Under Siege, like he, uh, Andrew Davis has worked with him. Yeah, totally. And when I I look at the other casting options for both roles, they both skew older. So this is the movie that they wanted to make. It just, mm-hmm. this, and maybe it's just the '90s in general. The the words coming out of his mouth are so damn slick and the slick stuff sells and works the punchline sort of uh pithy dialogue when i punch the bad guy stuff uh, that doesn't belong in this movie and he still fucking sells it man he's killer here and i find myself like oh is this (laughs) now i need to watch every tommy lee jones movie because this is obviously the sexiest he's ever been but I don't know, because... You know what's crazy? Is that Harrison Ford is older. He's older by, like, eight years, and he looks like he's ten years younger than Tommy Lee Jones. He also looks real good in this movie, man. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> dude, Harrison Ford with a beard is, like, <laughs> fucking grisly, dude. It's so fucking manly. He's grizzly. He does have like the the haggard, shaggy kind of. Hell yeah, he does. And that's what's so weird to me is that you, it's not weird, but like original for this movie is that I don't think you see doctors usually in movies with big fucking beards. They're usually clean cut dudes with their hair either short or slick back. And no, Harrison Ford is like this big, tall, rugged, bearded man. That's a vesicular surgeon or whatever the fuck he is. <laughs> Vascular? <laughs> Vascular, yeah. <laughs> I That's got to be Ford being like, uh, I, I actually can grow a pretty good beard. So I know there's a scene where he has to cut his beard. So I'll grow my beard. I actually just saw, uh, keep talking real quick there. I just saw a trivia about the beard. <laughs> yeah, I love good beard trivia. Um, I want to talk about David Tui before we go too far because I am also a fan of his work. Do you know Terminal Velocity? No. Oh, yes. 
I do, but no, I have not seen it. Oh, it's a lot of fun, buddy. Oh, it is a blast. Uh, okay, okay. I'm going to add it to my list. We should, you know what? I, I mean, I would totally do a, uh, anyways, I, I would do a series on David Chewy because he's made some of my favorites, including Waterworld. Oh, God, classic. Uh, G.I.J. It'll come up. It's coming up. Don't worry, Waterworld will be on the podcast, guys. <laughs> um, he did The Arrival, the one from 96, not the Amy Adams one. Like Terry Polo and Richard Schiff. And- <laughs> Terry Polo. Anyways, Charlie Sheen's in that one because David Tui loves him some Charlie Sheen. But also, buddy, this is where it gets real. Are you ready? I'm ready. Pitch Black. Oh, yeah, that's actually a good one. I, I love like Pitch Black. Black. Yeah, Francis that's a good one. Riddick and Riddick, he also did. Okay, okay. Yeah, buddy. Uh, so, Andrew Davis did thought the idea of a disguise for Harrison Ford would be really dumb. So he's like, fuck it, let's just start the movie with him having a big grizzly beard. And then when he goes into hiding, he just shaves it off. Solid. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Love it. Oh, you know who else you get randomly? Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch is in this movie. Fucking popping up as like a platonic woman friend who fucking I don't know feels like she loves she's like a liver doctor she works on microscopes and knows that the samples are both the same because they're they're pink and yellow you can tell they're the same that's how Mm -hmm. Alec Baldwin was originally the first choice for Kimball see that's kind of what I'm saying Alec Baldwin would have been what just a few years younger at this point right I mean, probably at the at any point in time, their ages relative to each other would remain the same. Yeah. But, I bet he's in his 30s because I think Harrison Ford was in his 40s. And this would have been off of like Hunt for Red October or, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hunt for Red October was 90. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that tracks were, and, but, um, yeah, Baldwin wouldn't have been the right energy for this either. Yeah, no, definitely. It's Harrison Ford's movie. Like it, him and Tommy Lee Jones, there's no one else that could have played these roles. It's Tommy Lee Jones's movie. I think you can swap out Ford. No. And get similar levels of enjoyment out of this movie, but not similar levels of greatness. Like there's sort of heat kind of stuff. I mean, like Michael Mann's heat in terms of two really incredible actors who don't often get a chance to do I don't want to say like subtle work because that's kind of their whole thing like both of these guys are better in movies when they don't want to be a part of the movie that they're in you know when they're really put upon yeah they they Andrew Davis literally put two of the biggest curmudgeons in one movie (laughs) like they are the curmudgeons of the world God, and it works, man. And that's, yeah, that's just kind of it. So, like, the way that Heat stacks the two biggest, like, mafioso guys against each other, this stacks the two biggest ornery <laughs> curmudgeons against each other. Like, the two dudes who are most likely to send back their toast at a diner across the same table from each other. 
<laughs> Sorry. Now I'm just pitching a terrible sketch that I really want to write. And it's Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones trying to out curmudgeon each other while they're sitting at a diner by like, mm, these eggs aren't easy enough. Mm. <laughs> uh, coffee could be hot. I said rye toast, not white toast. <laughs> Is this hand whipped butter? I don't like your face. Speaking of face, <laughs> the dude reading the newspaper at the on the L train as we move into the climax, he's the uh -huh. guy that goes tell that goes and tells Neil Flynn, you know, the janitor from Scrubs. He's like, hey, that guy is the bad guy. Go get him. The face that he's making while he's reading the newspaper, I don't know, does this read? He's like. <laughs> It's like the most extreme duck face I've ever seen on a human being. Like you, I don't think he has any lines, but you can hear the accent he is trying to project with his lips. He's very much doing a like, yeah, I'm from Jersey in the thirties kind of accent. It's the worst thing I've uh, had to endure for 15 to 20 seconds. Uh, apparently Neil Flynn, when appearing in scrubs and it, I, I guess his character doesn't like to tell people that he appeared in the film is that right that's a yeah, piece of trivia on here yeah there's a episode there's an episode where at least the b plot I can't, I can't imagine it's the a plot of that episode but the b or c plot revolves around you know how the janitor's always pulling pranks on on people and so JD is watching The Fugitive because it's great and comes in the next day and is like, you're in The Fugitive. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. he's like, no, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. And, you know, that's the, the bit. Gotcha. Gotcha. Of, I got a headcanon for this movie, which is the, <laughs> the prison guard from the bus sequence at the beginning of the movie Oh, so on the traumatized plot. by his experiences that he goes on to work at Inatech before inventing the jump to conclusions, Matt. Nice. What's <laughs> which uh, is that Nick Sarcy? Uh, it's Richard Ree, Richard Ryle. Richard Ryle is probably the fellow's name. Richard Ryle. Is that the guy that's in Deuce Bigelow? He's his dad. They got two Deuce Bigelow dudes in this movie. Yeah, yeah it is him. He's do he's Bob Bigelow. He's Deuce Bigelow's dad. <laughs> Your knowledge of the Deuce Bigelow canon is uh, unprecedented. How about that? I love them, man. They're so dumb. They're funny to me. <laughs> I have not seen either of them for any length of time. Actually, I haven't watched them in quite a long time either. <laughs> I should. Yeah, you should. And I probably will at some point. Speaking <laughs> of questionable decisions, I think his name is Monroe, the agent who at one point is pictured in a way too big suit, but he's got the ponytail. And yeah, I, yeah. I thought that was uh, James Spader for the longest yeah, time. Got a Spader vibe. Yeah. Oh, man, if Spader was in this thing. I know, I know. Oh, he would have fit right in too. Uh, anyways the guy who is not James Spader has a 90s like record producer ponytail yep and I, I love that Tommy Lee Jones rags on him for it 
Don't worry. Don't let him make fun of your ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Is it Tom Wood? Is that the actor? Yes, it is. Tom Wood. He's in Under Siege. He's in U.S. Marshals. He's in Apollo 13. Yeah, good for Tom Wood. Yeah. Not really working anymore, though. His last thing was in 2000. We should call out, um, well, Celia Ward also as the dead wife, but yeah, uh, Joey Pants, baby. Joey Pantoliano, Baby's Day Out. I just watched Baby's Day Out. No, you didn't. Yeah, for the first time ever in my life. Oh my God, I used to watch that all the fucking time as a kid. Hey, you know what happens in that movie? A baby- Nothing. Sets Joey Pantoliano's dick on fire. Yeah, baby. And the cops that are standing right there just don't notice the very obvious shenanigans happening under the jacket. I love that movie. Uh, yeah, I do too. <laughs> um, and you know who was the stunt double for the baby? <laughs> well, I mean, I, only one name is coming to mind. Vern Troyer? Yeah, I mean, it has to be, but if you're wrong, you're just a total asshole. Yeah, nope, but it is Vern Troyer. Yeah. I don't know if he did, like, all of it, but he, he's credited as, like, a, a body double for the baby. There are a lot of baby stunts. I mean, after all, it was his day out. It was, man. He's climbing on construction rigs and fucking... That's the end of the movie, right? He's climbing on all the construction shit. Yeah, and setting dicks on fire. Yeah, dude. But that movie's stacked, too. You got Joe Montana, Laura Flynn Boyle, uh, Boyle, Joe Pantoliano, Cynthia Nixon, fucking, and Vern Troyer. Also, (laughs) Cynthia Nixon is really pretty good in that movie. And there's another one. I might have to give it a rewatch. What's that? I might have to give it a rewatch. I haven't watched it in years, years. It's so dumb and bad, but it, it is it's stacked you know what i mean like i hope everybody got paid a whole lot of money oh um, yeah they had to man they're fucking they put a uh an a, a dude in an ape suit in this movie their people got paid <laughs> <laughs> it was this movie and then actually uh, what else did i catch recently oh adam's family values oh and the pelican brief is what it was but uh Cynthia Nixon had a run in the early 90s that I don't think we appreciated it enough. And I mean, I guess once she got on Sex in the City, she made her money. So good for her. Maybe we did appreciate it enough and, and she did her thing. But she's really fucking good in some of those movies, man. Especially in the period pieces. She's got that vibe. It's just the vibe of the thing. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I remember Pelican Brief. I'm trying to think of anything else uh, that she that I could think of her in before Sex in the City. Mm. Marvin's mm-hmm. Room? Baby's Day Out? <laughs> <laughs> She's really good in Baby's Day Out. She's my favorite par- part of Baby's Day Out, aside from the baby. Okay, yeah, Marvin's Room. I do remember her in that. That's a sad one. Anyways... Do we have anything else about The Fugitive? Nope. Just that it's incredible. It is really incredible. I will say that it 
one of the places it succeeds most strongly among it, it succeeds all around really really a solid solid movie hey have you heard of this movie the fugitive guys it's good but the pacing is really taut there's from you know the opening sequence is a little i don't know lyrical but it's credit sequence went on for really long it's like 13 minutes and i was like damn we're still in the credits yeah yeah it's a for me, it's a little long, um, but once we get past that, it doesn't stop for at least a half an hour. And even then when it stops, it doesn't stop. It just sort of breathes a little bit while mm-hmm. he's like tending to an injury or just enough around a corner kind of thing. And then it's not, I don't know, it's paced really, really strongly. I'm not gonna go beat for beat on this thing. But it's like drum tight, really, really solid. I'm right there with you. I think so too. Happy St. Patrick's Day.